Now it's time to talk to Kerry Hudson. I vividly remember reading the very first line of Kerry's first novel. That was Tony Hogan bought me an ice cream float before he stole my ma and it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. She wrote another excellent novel called Thirst and she's here today to talk to us about her first work of non-fiction which is called Low Born. Kerry, welcome. Thanks for coming in to see us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Tell me, why did you decide to write this book? I guess it was for two reasons. So one was to kind of finish what I started with Tony Hogan bought me an ice cream float before he stole my ma, um, which was enormously autobiographic um, and helped me sort of understand a lot of things about my quite disadvantaged and chaotic childhood. Um, but I felt like I hadn't done enough really to sort of satisfy the questions that I had as a writer about that process. And then the other reason was because we just voted for Brexit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trump had just got into office. Um, I was seeing a really big rise of sort of divisive language around poverty. And I felt that the thing that I could offer was my personal story. I felt like if I said, this is me, this happened to me, and these are the reasons that these things happen, then it might help uh, shape some people's perceptions of what poverty really is in the UK. Mm -hmm. You say that you are proudly working class, but never proudly poor. Talk to us about that a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think the danger is that if you start talking about the sort of dark places of poverty and let's be honest like there are plenty dark places mm. <laughs> of like not having enough food or not having sustainable shelter or poor educational attainment that it seems that you're sort of ashamed of your background mm. but I never was I'm very proud of the communities I came from they're strong and tenacious and intelligent and hopeful even when hope shouldn't really be there at all and so I really wanted to look at how I could talk about the very difficult parts of poverty and really why it's so important that we start tackling it robustly um, but also make sure that people understood that actually those communities have an enormous value to offer the country. You talk about the adverse childhood experiences measure. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so they call it the ACE mm-hmm. measure for short and it's basically it's kind of like if you think of a buzz <laughs> BuzzFeed quiz with really high stakes so it's got <laughs> yeah. 10 questions which measure childhood trauma and for each thing that happened to you as a child you get a point and the higher your ACE score is then likely the more trauma that you've experienced my score was an 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. so pretty high on that score um, but for me actually it was a really helpful measure because it's hard to measure trauma. It's hard to find a sort of metric for understanding the experiences you've had. And so I found it really helpful. And it also helped me understand a lot of the things that then happened to me in my teens and a lot of uh, sort of the consequences of that that I faced in my adulthood. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of the book is you puzzling out your own story, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, I hope it's more interesting. <laughs> well, I, mean, I found just, it fascinating and riveting. Sort of... I would very happily read about only you for the rest of my life. But, um, and I enjoyed that questing nature of it, that yeah. you, you, the, the, you, the writer in the now with this incredibly successful career, are still dealing with the impact of everything that happened to you all those years ago. Absolutely. And what I realised was that it wasn't just me. Um, At the time of writing Lowborn, I was also writing a series of columns for The Pool. And so I had women contacting me every single month saying, thank you for writing about this because this is how I feel too. Mm. And so I understood there was value in talking about that uncertainty and that vulnerability. You say that you want to uh, explore some of the falsehoods about poverty. Would you uh, do that for us now? Tell us a bit about that. So part of the book is me sort of reflecting on my childhood and then the other part is me returning to the deprived communities that I grew up in to see how they've changed and also to try and 
piece together some of my own childhood memories, mm-hmm. if you like, like a sort of archival process of my own life, if you like. And I went to speak to social workers who were working in North Lanarkshire. They were very experienced. They'd all worked in the industry for over 20 years. And they said that they felt the poverty shaming uh, sensationalist TV programs like, um, you know, Benefit Street and mm-hmm. stuff like that. They thought the thing that was most responsible for people's change of perception of poor people, because all of a sudden there was this very visible mass sort of produced form of entertainment, which was about how lazy and stupid and feckless poor people mm-hmm. were. Um, and um, if you're familiar with the report that Philip Alston did, uh, the UN report on UK poverty, mm-hmm. he also says that the Tory government drove a narrative, a propaganda, which suggested that poor people were idle and they didn't want to work hard. And that's how they justified a lot of the benefits cuts mm-hmm. um, and sanctions and austerity cuts that they did. So it was structural. And then also, you know, that the media was being made by people who had very little lived experience of poverty. And I just really want to challenge that and show the complexities and the nuances and the humanity, mm-hmm. which I think is often what's missing from those narratives. And tell us about poverty proofing. Yes. Isn't it fat? Oh, just an just, amazing thing. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Everyone's picked it out. So yeah. Children Northeast are an amazing organisation that tackle child poverty in the Northeast. And they've set up this pilot scheme called poverty proofing, where effectively they go into schools and they poverty proof the school day. So they do an audit to see where if you're a poor child and you're uh, self-conscious of what you're wearing or your free school dinners or the school trip you can or can't afford to go on, they will look for ways to alleviate that so that every child has um, the same sort of experience at school. Mm -hmm. So it might be introducing a school uniform. It might be making sure that all school trips are subsidised. One of the things that I talk about in the book is going up to collect my free school dinner token and how deeply shameful I found Mm -hmm. that even before I understood why it was shameful. Mm -hmm. So eradicating things like that. And they did it in my my old school, Hetton Lines Primary, which was one of the, the most sort of restorative, wonderful, experience for me as a child full of teachers who were really committed to helping the children in that area and when I went back they just introduced this Um, and now actually my best friend who's a deputy primary school teacher in London is trying to implement it in her school so our hope is that it will start getting rolled out across the country. Oh that's lovely isn't it? Now you say in the book that you're not a brave person this to me feels like an incredibly brave book. How can we make you feel braver Kerry? (laughs) Usually about three glasses of wine does it, but but it's not yet five o'clock. No, I mean, I suppose when I was writing that, I didn't feel brave. I often felt um, frightened. It was a frightening process and it was difficult. But what has been astounding about the book is that I knew that it would change me and help me sort of understand things, both as a writer and as a person. But writing that book was legitimately life-changing for me Mm -hmm. and now I do feel stronger and braver and that's what a gift what a gift to be given as a writer it is what do you hope for from the book and from the publication of the book um I suppose I was going to say something really glib like golden shoe It's my it's my instinct just to, to make a joke. But um, two things, really. One is that I would love people who have no perception of what it is like to grow up poor, particularly maybe people who are very well-intentioned but don't fully understand why those things are happening mm-hmm. or the real 
depth of difficulty that can come with that sort of poverty um, and give them a new insight into what these communities are going for and also how the sort of society that they exist within and benefit from contributes to that poverty. And then the other thing I would love is for people like me who grew up like me, young women like me, um, to read this book and see their own lives reflected in a compassionate way, Uh, see their own hopes and ideals and bravery reflected in those pages Mm -hmm. there are allies and enemies in the book you know there are people that don't help you and there are people that do help you there's a lot of teachers and they fall into both camps but you did eventually encounter an inspirational teacher that you talk about a lot um, I came to uh, my further education later. I came at like 19 to do a BTEC, which if none of you are familiar with, is kind of like a vocational course for stupid kids. Like That's the <laughs> idea of it. And on that course, it was a performing arts course. There was a teacher called Ian Gordon, who was an ex-actor from Liverpool. I call him the spit of Kirk Douglas. He was this like huge strapping guy. And he just lived and breathed trying to get us kids to believe in ourselves Mm. and also, most importantly, to believe that art belonged to us. So it was meant to be a theatre course, but he exposed us to books and film and music and he managed to find a way to show us how the art was reflective of our lives and how it was really important that we also created art. He was just this extraordinary teacher. He was like a father figure to some of us. He helped me fill out my UCAS and get into university. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to do that. Mm. And what's really nice is I'm actually, I'm still in touch with him and his wife. I'm still good friends with them. His ex-students, whenever I say, you know, this is my inspirational teacher, at least five other ex-students chime in and say, I would not be doing what I was without him. He saved my life because that was a course that collected sort of the kids who were not good for anything else <laughs> and he found a way to to support us and help us forward with our futures and you were lady macbeth in your audition piece. i was I, i'm going to i'm not going to lie I was, I was a pretty good lady macbeth yeah. you know i, I had it <laughs> and did you do you feel you've washed out the stains i mean yeah, I guess like uh, to a certain extent, but also I'm, I'm learning to live with the stains. The stains are totally part of who I am. And actually I'm learning to be kind of proud of them. You know, I wear them, you know, as a sort of badge of where I've been and, and where I am now. Oh, that's lovely. Thanks so much, Kerry. Thank you so much, Cathy. Take care.